Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, welcome everyone, everybody watching online, all the folks at Hohog. Welcome to the last message in our 52-week-long sermon series on the story of Jesus. We have been studying the book of Mark for a full year, 52 sermons on Jesus's life. And we have been on an adventure with him. We have gone all over Israel. We have gone, uh, we've watched him walk on water. We've watched him calm the storms. We've watched him raise the dead. We have seen amazing things over the last 52 weeks. And all along the way, he has been pushing us and pushing us and pushing us because the call that Jesus puts on people who would follow him is to follow him completely. There's no half-hearted following Jesus, and he doesn't leave that open as an option. Now, he calls these this ragtag bunch of, of, of guys who are imperfect in every way, and he calls them to lay down their lives, pick up their crosses, and follow him. And he does the same thing to us. I mean, as we've gone through this series, that is the message. That is where all of this ultimately leads. It's an all or nothing endeavor. We live his way or we don't. We adopt his teaching wholesale, not piecemeal, just putting things together, but wholesale, and we walk with him. That's ultimately where Christianity ends up. That's where this story leads us. He pushes us to make a decision. Now, that being said, and this is a little bit of a dichotomy, there's room for unbelievable grace in the process. Jesus calls us to make a decision that he's Lord, that he's the one who gets to be in charge of our lives. But he knows, and this is demonstrated throughout the story, that we're going to fall short in that from time to time. And there's this unbelievable grace that comes towards our lives. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. We'll see it again today. But at the end of the day, there's no room for a half-hearted commitment, which is something that we see a lot in our culture today. People are like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, but it's just kind of like he's part of my life. He doesn't leave that open as an option for us. And I hope that you've seen that as we've gone through this series. Now, ultimately, Jesus makes his way to the cross, and we've unpacked this over the last many weeks. He dies for the forgiveness of our sins, so that the barrier between God and us, the, the, the block between relationship between God and us, the thing that would keep God's spirit out of our lives is, is paid for, it's, it's paid in full and taken care of. And he invites us to live in this new life, this new reality. Um, he invites us, as the apostle Paul had put it, to live the life that is really life a life that is full of purpose, a life that is satisfying, a life that is, is full of his love and his peace, a life that has a completely different quality to it. He calls it eternal life, and that's because it is eternal. It, it, it starts in this life and goes into the next life. It's long. It goes far beyond just the few years we're going to live in our bodies on this planet. 
but it's an eternal quality to that life as well. We are living in that connection with God that we were designed for, that we long for, and that our lives will never be full until we have that relationship with him. Well, as we've gone over the, the, the last few weeks, and the re- Jen did such a fantastic job with the resurrection last week, um, and with, uh, with Peter's, um, just with Jesus's heart for Peter, who probably messed up bigger than anybody else, um, we now come into the kind of the second part of that story. And so this is our last passage. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 9. And this is, again, we're dealing with the resurrection of Jesus. This is what it says. It says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they rejoiced. No, it doesn't say that. It says they did not believe it. All right, these disciples, these guys who have been walking with Jesus, Jesus had told them that he was going to die and rise again. Uh, They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. I mean, crucified people do not come back from the dead. They didn't believe it. In verse 12, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. See, the disciples, the disciples had a great deal of doubt. They had a lot of questions. And all of this after walking with Jesus, not for 52 weeks, but for three years. Three years they have witnessed the miracles. They have heard his teaching that would light a crowd on fire, that, that, that explained God in a way that finally made sense in their souls. They have had three years of watching him free people from demonic oppression, of watching him raise the dead, walk on water, calm storms, giving sight to the blind, healing lepers. And three times within the last month or so, on their way to Jerusalem, Jesus says, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to persecute me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'm going to come back from the dead. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. See, the disciples still had their doubts. The disciples still didn't have this whole thing figured out. Now, I don't know about you, but this makes me feel better about my faith journey because there are moments where I have my doubts, and I know there are moments when you have your doubts. There are moments where I don't have it all figured out, and there are moments when I think I do have it all figured out, and I don't have it all figured out. And Jesus has grace for us in those moments. Jesus has grace for his disciples in this moment. These guys go on to serve him and proclaim his message and transform the world. Jesus uses these guys to have an impact on our world that like nobody has ever had before or since. And guys, their story is our story. Their story, their journey is your journey. Their process is your process. We're, we're going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to have doubts along the way. We're going to get it wrong from time to time. 
But if we are all in on Jesus, he's all in on us. He's not going to give up on us. And he will restore us as we're about to see. In verse 14, it says, Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. It says Jesus rebuked them. Now, it, what it doesn't say is that Jesus condemned them. Jesus doesn't condemn them. He corrects them. And he does the same thing to us. We, that word rebuke kind of has a harsh edge to it, and we think, well, why was Jesus being so harsh? Well, they were wrong, and he corrects them. And that's what, that's what a loving friend will do in our lives or a loving parent will do in the life of their child. They'll correct them. They'll rebuke them. They'll, they'll point them in the right direction. And that's what Jesus does. It's the loving thing to do, not the harsh thing to do. And for the disciples, I think this is, this is such a pivot point. And I, and I don't know that it's necessarily because he corrected them, because he's corrected them before. I think it's because they saw him alive. Everything changes from this point forward. Before this point, they were fearful, they were afraid, they were hiding, they were mourning, they were weeping, it says. And after this, their entire approach changes. They stand boldly. They, the, the disciples choose, and we know from, from just the accounts in the early church history that, that 10 of the 11 disciples that were left died martyrs' deaths, were burned alive, crucified. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he said that he didn't deserve to be crucified like his savior. And so he chose to be crucified upside down because he would not deny that he had seen Jesus alive. Guys, you know, people suggest that, you know, the disciples after Jesus was crucified, that they, uh, they came up with this whole story about his resurrection because they wanted to start a new religion. And I'm thinking, who does that? Why would anybody want to start? Like, I could see one crazy person wanting to start a new religion with them at the center of the religion. I could, I could understand that because they're, they're crazy people. But what I don't understand is how you get a whole group of people to go, hey, let's do this, and then come up with a cohesive story and then stand by the cohesive story when they're facing the firing squad. Like, who dies for a lie? I mean, it might, you know, they, they, these guys, uh, Peter and John in, in Acts chapter 4, the guys that are hiding and in mourning and dejected before they see Jesus alive, in Acts chapter 4, they're arrested and they are pulled before the same Sanhedrin that condemned Jesus to death. And they said, you know, you killed him. You killed him. They're pointing their finger at the Sanhedrin and say, the, the authorities who hold their lives in their hands. And they, you killed him. And they're like, well, you know, we don't want you to talk about that. Don't, don't mention this guy's name anymore. And they're like, well, you tell us what we should do. Should we listen to you or we listen to God? We're going to listen to God. The boldness, the complete confidence in Jesus that they display from this point forward is stunning. There's no other explanation other than that they did see Jesus alive. They go on to change the world. Guys, the, the fact that Christianity made it out of Jerusalem 
is nothing short of miraculous. The fact that it made it out of the first century is nothing short of miraculous. There's, it, 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 it was a bunch of fishermen and a carpenter and this story that's completely unbelievable other than it, there's no other explanation. And it changed the scope and the, scape, the, the landscape of the entire globe and world culture to the point that today we date time after this guy, Jesus. Everything before him was BC, everything after him, AD. That, that our two major holidays on the calendar are his birth and his death. Changed everything. And I don't know about you, but for me, that gives me incredible hope because I'm as flawed as the disciples were. Well, in verse 15, it says, he said to them, so let me back up here a second. Jesus gathers the disciples together. And, and this is kind of the last thing that he says. These are the marching orders before he leaves because he's about to be gone. And he's handing the entire enterprise, the whole thing we call the church, he's handing it over to this group of guys. And so he gives them something very specific to do. And I believe that he gives, he gives this commission to all of us who claim to be his followers. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I think Jesus gathers his guys together and says, guys, I, you have the most important information the world has ever heard, the most consequential message. This changes everything for everybody. This changes eternity. This changes life in this world goes from hopeless to full of hope and connection and relationship with God and life in the next world, in the next life. It, it, it's, it is full of hope and life and eternity and joy and this changes everything. And you guys hold, he said in, in another place, he said, you guys hold the keys of the kingdom. You know the truth. Now do something with it. Do something with it. Go and share it. And then in verse 17, he says this, and all these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, I know at this point, some of you are like, I'm out of here. I don't know, I don't, no snakes, please. And, um, you know, <laughs> back at, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I was doing college ministry, and uh, we had a coffee house that we would, we would, it was a mobile coffee house, and we would roll into like West Liberty's campus, and we would set it up, and we had all this sound equipment. And one of the pieces of sound equipment we had was called a snake. Uh, and the snake was this box with a, uh, all these plugins in it, and you put it up at the front of the room, and you can plug the microphones and instruments and everything into that. And then you run this long cable all the way back to the back of the room where the soundboard is so that you can mix sound in the back of the room, and that plugs into the soundboard. It's called a snake. That's the, it was kind of big. It had its own bin. So we had this bin, and it was, we called it the snake bin. 
And we actually made a label for it that said snake bin right across the front. So every time we'd roll in somewhere and get that out, people were like, what kind of church are you? You know, Because you've heard of the, the churches in Appalachia, like the deep haulers of Appalachia, where they, they get the rattlesnakes out during the church service. Have you heard about that? If not, so, so yeah, there are churches that have looked at this, this verse and go, we need snakes and poison and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. And, and so read, just pulling this one verse kind of out of context and reading it have come to the conclusion that church services should be, should look like people, you know, running up and down the aisles of the church with snakes, drinking poison, with demons manifesting while everyone's speaking in tongues and all the sick people get healed. And that's what church is supposed to look like. Guys, that is not what Jesus is saying here. That's, that is not. Now, that being said, is spiritual evil real? Absolutely, I've seen it. You've probably seen it. Is praying for healing good and does God heal? Yes, he does. Uh, you know, tongues, read the book of Acts. You're gonna see that they speak in other tongues. And you know, in the Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul is bitten by this super poisonous snake on the island of Malta and, and, and doesn't die. And, and everybody's like, woo, you know, it's your God. He's like, no, I'm not, but let me tell you about my God. All right, so, you know, yes, all of those things, all of those things, if you read through the, the next book, which is the book of Acts, you're, you're gonna see, you're gonna see not at every church service and not all the time, and you know, it's not the focus, but those things, do happen. But what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, you got to get the context. He's talking to a group of guys who, before they met Jesus, probably never left Galilee, or if they did, it was to go to Jerusalem for a festival once in a while. Right? Their world was really, really small. They weren't, they weren't educated. They weren't uh, they weren't, you know, worldly from that perspective, like world travelers or anything. And Jesus says, look, gather around, guys. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to go to every corner. I want you to go to India. I want you to go to Rome. I want you to, and I want you to take this message that they're already trying to squash, that the Romans are already trying to squash that the Jews are already trying to squash. And I want you to take this message with you to these scary, crazy places out there. And the, and the disciples are like, are you kidding? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And Jesus, what Jesus is saying is like, look, I'm gonna be with you. You will never be alone. My spirit is in you. He's gonna give you power, he's going to protect you, you're going to have everything you need to do, everything I've called you to do, now go. And they do, they go all over the world, they spread the message and literally change the world. In verse 19 it says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. The end. The end. Jesus goes up to heaven. He's promised that he's coming back. And he left 
all of this, his whole operation in the hands of us. Now, what I want to focus on for the rest of our time is verse 15. Verse 15, it says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You have the hope of the world, do something with it. Don't sit on it. Don't just stay here in Jerusalem, but go and share this. Now, guys, in theological circles, we call this the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is, is something that shows up in some way, shape, or form in all four Gospels and the book of Acts. Uh, it, it's where Jesus, at the very end, gathers his disciples, gives us, gives them the marching orders. This is what you're supposed to do. Don't sit on this, share it. In fact, intentionally live your lives in such a way that you are sharing this message with as many people as you possibly can and take it to every corner of the world. In Matthew 28, 19, we see Matthew's um, account of this. He says, Jesus gathers the disciples together. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Help people find me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So when they do find me, when they do commit their lives to following me, baptize them. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So teach them how to follow me. And then he says, kind of what he said in Mark, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That reassurance that I'm going to be with you, I am going to empower you, I'm going to give you everything you need, I will, I will protect you, I will walk with you. You do not have to be afraid because I am with you. In the book of Acts, Acts was written by Luke, and so uh, Acts kind of crossfades, uh, and we see, we see the, the uh, account of this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, but, and Acts, most of the book of Acts is the story of the early church. But in the chapter one, we see this, the very tail end of Jesus's life, and we see this account. And this is what, how Luke puts it. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guys, the, the, the picture that's painted over and over again in, the, in this great commission that Jesus gives us very clearly, and that is be his witnesses, speak his words, help people find him all the way to the ends of the earth. And that he will be with us, that he will give us the power to do this, that God will fill us up with his spirit. And we go out and we reach people with his good news. And it changes everything for them. And as we do that, his spirit rushes into those moments. And if you've ever shared your faith with somebody, you know that God's spirit just shows up in those moments. It's powerful. And he fills us again and and and. And then we go out and we do it again. And it's, and it's this cycle, right? You know, if you want to experience the power of God in your life, do the mission of God with your life. Let me say that again. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, do the mission of God with your life. Um, 
we say this around here, we say this this way, found people, find people. This is one of our, one of our core values as a church. Found, this is just part of what we do. This is the mission that Jesus gave us. Now, here's the problem. And here's what I have seen over and over again. We love to make our faith about us. I want to, I want to, to learn more. I, I need to sing more worship songs. I need to study the Bible more. I need to go to church more or at least watch online, right? And it's easy to begin to think that all we need to do is more church stuff. But guys, I have seen over and over again, that is a spiritual dead end. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that going to church is a, is a spiritual dead end. I don't mean studying the Bible is a spiritual dead end, and I don't mean that worshiping God is a spiritual dead end. But if those are the only things you're doing and you're not sharing your faith, your faith will grow cold and dry and dusty. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen people who have been in church for 50 years and their faith is dead because they're not sharing their faith. You want to experience the power of God in your life, do the mission of God with your life. He rushes into those moments. It's an adventure, right? And Jesus' Jesus's mission for us is crystal clear. You are God's rescue plan. He didn't have to do it this way. He chose to do it this way. Every single follower of Jesus, if you've decided to follow him and you said, I'm all in on with you, Jesus, part of your mission, actually the big part of your mission in this world is to help other people find him and teach them how to follow him. Now, my guess is at this point in this message, 90 to 95% of us are completely uncomfortable. You would rather me give a message on on tithing and money than give this message right here because this makes you uncomfortable. It scares us. It scares us. And I think this is why Jesus said to his disciples over and over and over again, I'll be with you. I will empower you. I'll give you what you need to do this because he knew it would be scary to us just as it was scary to them. Let me let you in on a little secret about following Jesus. Following Jesus will necessarily take you outside of your comfort zone. It will. It's part of the journey. He calls us out of our comfort zones. And there will be moments when you will be afraid. You know, I, I used to teach people how to rock climb. Um, I haven't been rock climbing in years, but I used to. And, um, and it was so interesting because people... People, when they're, they're learning to rock climb, generally speaking, they're scared of the heights. I mean, it's natural to be scared of heights, right? So we tie them up with a rope and a harness that'll hold 6,000 pounds, and we put, them on the, put a helmet on them, put them on the rock, and say, climb. Now, climbing rocks is really fun as you don't think about the heights. It's a, it's a, it's a real thrill. But you can't not think about the heights. But what happens is people as they're learning to rock climb, they have to get over their fear and begin to trust the rope and the systems that are in place to keep them safe. And that's a process. But as they push through those fears and they get comfortable on the rocks and they climb to the top, it is the thrill of a lifetime. It is this great adventure. Climbing is fun. 
once you get past the scary part. Right? And when they get down off the, ro the rock, they're different. They walk different. There's a swagger in their step. There's a confidence to do other things in their life because they've overcome that fear. Guys, reality of, of the world is and life is that we're afraid of almost everything at first. You know, a baby learning to walk is afraid to stand up on these two sticks and walk around. And they, you know, and they, it's why we give them fingers to hold on to and cheer them on and all of that. And they, they have to figure out how these legs work and they're afraid they're going to fall down. But eventually, eventually they figure it out. And then all of a sudden, you can't keep up with them. It's still like, woohoo! You know, learning to ride a bike. I remember when I was teaching Deuce to ride a bike, the entire time he was looking back, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. You're afraid to do that until all of a sudden he's riding on his own and he's gone. I remember 55 years, or 55 years, I'm not that old, 45 years ago when I was learning to ride a bike, but I remember that feeling when dad finally let go and I was free. But it was scary at first, right? I was scared to death to get married. Best decision I ever made. I pushed through the fear. And I think the same thing is true with sharing our faith. I think a lot of times we're just, we're just afraid we're going to make somebody mad. Now, if you're making somebody mad, you're not doing it right. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you have came to church because somebody invited you to. Yeah, right. Most of us. Now, let me ask you this. Of the people who said, yes, I've come to church because somebody invited me to, how many of you hate that person for inviting you? Nobody. Nobody. You're forever grateful for that person, right? Guys, this is not as scary as you think it is. You know, recent surveys show that most Americans are indifferent to organized religion, not hostile. We've been conditioned to think that everybody's mad at, you know, Christians or mad at people who share their faith and people don't like pushy people, so don't be pushy people. But people are open to spiritual conversations. There's not this, this angst against uh, Christians or Christianity. Now, just because you had a, an angry atheist professor at one point doesn't mean that everybody is. In fact, again, surveys show most Americans are indifferent. Also, seven out of 10 Americans believe that there is an ultimate plan and purpose for every person on the planet. Guys, that's a deeply spiritual belief, whether they're spiritual or not. And almost 60% of people say that there's a deeper purpose for their life, but they don't know what it is. That's a pretty huge hunger. I mean, there's an openness to these conversations that I don't think we expect to find. But if you start having them, you will see that people are hungry. Also, depending on which survey you look at, somewhere between 60 and 70% of Americans say that they would go to church if they were invited by somebody they know. Somewhere between 60 and 70% of people, if they were invited by somebody they know, said they would go to church. There is an openness. It's not as scary as you think. But the devastating stat is this. 80% of people say they've never been invited to church. 
We're not, invi- we're not inviting people. We're not doing the mission that God has given us because we're afraid. And they're just waiting for the invitation. And somewhere close to 70% of people will never attend on their own. They need an invitation. They need a spiritual conversation. They need to know that you believe what you believe and how it's changed your life that will help them take steps in their journey. Many years ago, there was a, there's a um, famous comedian, uh, Penn Jillette. Uh, he's uh, He's famous for being an atheist, actually. He's an atheist to this very day. Uh, But several years back, uh, he does a show on the the Vegas Strip, um, Penn & Teller, if you've heard of them. Uh, But Penn is a nice guy. um, But uh, somebody after one of the shows came up to him and gave him a Bible. And it so impacted him that after the show, he did a a little video blog and posted it on YouTube. Um, about what he thought about this person giving him a Bible. And I just want to show you the, the video. So go ahead and take a look. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I've... Uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props in the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show. And uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice 
insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate someone to not tell them? I mean, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and there's a way to eternal life and healing and relationship with God, and you're just sitting on it, how much do you have to hate the people around you? And what I love about Penn's take on this is that he was grateful. He doesn't believe it. He didn't come down on the side of, okay, now I believe that, but he was grateful that someone would care enough about him enough to at least share with him. Guys, the world is waiting for us to share this rescue story. The story of Jesus at its core is a rescue story. God rescued us. He sacrificed his only son to rescue each and every one of us. And it's a story of those who come into his family, into his fold, devoting their lives to helping other people be rescued along the way. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God has people waiting. They're set up ahead of time in your life that you're gonna run into. And it might be a casual conversation. It might be an act of kindness. It might be an opportunity to share your story and what God is doing in your life. Or it might be an invite to church. I don't know. I mean, he has those opportunities set up and they'll unfold if we have the courage and the boldness to step into them. If we will live our lives on mission, the mission that the entire 52 weeks of this story has led us to. But we don't. And we're missing out on the power and the presence of God because of it. We're missing out on the adventure we were created for because of it. You are not living the fullness of your Christian life if you are not on mission with Jesus in this. And no, you don't need to have all the answers. I know that's the other fear. I don't know, all, I don't know everything I need to know. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know what God has done in your life and share that story. You just need to be able to say, come and see. And you'll learn more as you go and you'll be able to share more as you go. Jesus has grace in the process of, as we have seen so perfectly through this entire story. So what do we do with this? How do we live in light of this? And I wanna give you something very practical to do because this is, this is we gotta put feet on this. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Pull out a sheet of paper, write it in the margin of your Bible, or pull out a, uh, pull out a sheet of paper that, that you can keep in front of you for the next year. I want you to tape it to your mirror or your dashboard or wherever you're gonna see it every day, and I want you to write down the names of three people that you 
want to see come to faith in Jesus? Three people. And I want you to pray for them by name every day for their salvation for the next year. Pray for them by name each and every day. Pray for an opportunity to share your story of what God has done in your life. Pray for that opportunity every day. And third, pray for the courage and the words when that opportunity comes up. That's it. That's it. And if you will live on purpose, if you will pray for the power of God to bring people into your path and open up these doors, you're going to be living a different kind of adventure than you have to this point. And you're going to be a world changer, very much like the disciples were world changers. Guys, at the end of the day, I'd love to say, well, this is, an, this is a great adventure option, you know, kind of like if you were on a cruise ship and you could do this excursion. But it's not. This is a command. This is what Jesus told us to do. Go help people find me. It's why you're here on this planet. And you know what? It's the only thing that you do that really matters eternally. Everything else you do is temporary. The money you make, the goals you accomplish, all of that. It ends at the, when this life and, and this body ends. But the people that you help find and follow God, you're gonna be together with them in, in eternity. This is eternal. The consequences are eternal. The stakes are eternal. And the adventure is amazing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for all that we've learned. I pray that you would continue to shape our life by it. Lord, I pray that you would, would uh, lead us on this adventure that you've created us for, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world and the people around us. Help us to push through our fears and find that place of comfort in doing the things that you have created us and called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.